So I think what I'm going to do this morning is just jump straight into our scripture reading. It's from Luke chapter 8, and it's not your typical Father's Day scripture, so I just want to warn you of that out of the gate. This is actually, believe it or not, this is the lectionary passage for this Sunday. So the lectionary is this globally used catalog of scripture that's organized by Sundays that preachers often use. It lines up with the liturgical seasons. So anyways, it's this really cool index that sometimes I go to when we're not in the middle of a series. And I went to check what the lectionary passage was for this Sunday, and this was actually the primary gospel reading. So I just decided we were going to go for it. I told Madison, the, the text that I was preaching on last night, my wife, And she looked at me like I was crazy, like, are you serious? You're really going to preach for that on Father's Day? And my response was, well, I read it and I wanted to preach on it, and this is my first Father's Day. So I feel like I should get to preach on, like, what I want to preach on, right? So excuse me. I hope you like it. I hope you find it meaningful, but I'm excited for us to read it. I bet it's a story that you've heard, but maybe not a story that you've read in church on Sunday. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Then they arrived at the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite to Galilee. As he, Jesus, stepped out on shore, a man from the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had not worn any clothes and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there was a hillside with a large herd of swan was feeding And the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd stampeded down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. The people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. And in his right mind. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had actually been healed. Then the whole throng of people of the surrounding region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home. And declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. Do you see what I mean? Like, probably not your typical Father's Day text. There's a lot going on here. I was talking to a friend uh, that pastors a church in Texas, and he had actually preached on this text recently, but they split it up into three different weeks. Can you imagine reading this text on Sundays for three weeks in a row? 
and me preaching three sermons on it. I mean, like, I know there's a lot going on here, but I don't know if I could read a text about a demon-possessed man with this legion of demons for three weeks in a row. So we're not going to have time to cover everything that we see here, but I really do think there's a lot of hope for us to glean from this story, this story of Jesus encountering this broken man and bringing him back to life. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what my plan is. We're going to use just a couple of questions to to frame how we're going to work our way back through this text and see what hope we can glean from it. So the first question that I want us to ask is this, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? It's a simple question, right? And and to put it simply, right, a simple question with a simple answer, Jesus is not where we would expect him to be. And he's certainly not where I think most of us would, would want him to be. Jesus, when he steps out of the boat onto the shore, is on the outskirts of town. He's in Gentile territory. He's in foreign country. He's on the fringes, right? Jesus is a long way from Kansas when he steps out of the shore and, and encounters this man. And, and you know that immediately as the reader because this land is a place where pigs are being raised, where the most unclean of unclean animals to a Jew, where they're actually being raised for slaughter, to be eaten. And you know this too because this is a place where people are living among the tombs, where people are living amongst the dead, which probably means, among other things, that despite Jesus and his group, there is not another faithful Jew for miles and miles and miles, because this is not a place where a Jew could function and remain clean, remain in right relationship with God. And of course, you remember, right, when, when you see pigs in Scripture and a Jew encountering pigs, I hope you remember the story of the prodigal son, right? Because when he hits rock bottom, where does he find himself? Among the swine, doesn't he? Feeding the pig, so hungry that he wants to even eat the food that the pigs are being fed. Jesus here in this text is in a really strange place, especially for a first century Jewish reader. And I think that to an extent points to one of the the main points that we're supposed to draw from this passage. Jesus, in this text, when he steps out of the boat onto that shoreline, is entering the strange and the uncontrollable. He all of a sudden finds himself in the midst of of chaos. He places himself in the middle of somewhere where people are screaming out in pain, where where the strange and, and unexplainable things are happening like demons possessing people, Folks being bound by chains and then breaking out of them and living amongst the tombs. Where people are hitting rock bottom. Where people are in desperate need of healing. I realized this week that when we read this text, just those first few lines, we we see Jesus wading out into a place where he knows he will find the rawest form of human pain. And the rawest form of what I believe is, is human need for God. It's almost like in the text, in the first few lines, we see Jesus seeking out the hurting. Making sure that he finds himself in a place where people are, are suffering. And I think there's a ton of hope in that for us. 
I really do. I mean, I know it's a strange text, but I think, I think there's a ton of hope just in the first few lines for us as a people of faith to glean. Because when we read this story, all of a sudden we realize that when we find ourselves in places like that, we too can know that Jesus is with us. That Jesus is going to be willing to step off the boat and onto the shore and into that place, wherever it might be that we find ourselves. And look, for us, it, it may not look like, like demons possessing us, and it may not look like living amongst the tombs, or it may not look like a herd of swine, but it probably does look like fear or anxiety, right? Or, or maybe it looks, like, it looks like doubt or some financial stress that's causing you to doubt what God is calling you to do and where God is calling you to go. Or, or maybe it looks like that season of doubt where we, being, we, we begin to question whether or not Jesus is actually with us and for us because we don't feel like we've seen God's face or felt God's action working and moving in our life for quite a while. Or, or when something painful or, or hurtful happens to us or someone that, that we love and, and we cry out to God asking why? Why is this happening? What are you doing? It, it's in those moments of deep pain and yearning for God that when we read a story like this, we can at least know that Jesus is with us. That no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how great what we are facing may seem to be, we can trust and, and we can go back to the fact that, that Jesus is with us. He's stepping out of the boat onto that foreign land where we may find ourselves ready to navigate whatever it is we're facing, ready to walk through it with us. But the good news really doesn't stop there. Just, that's, that's, just the, that's just the beginning of it. Because once Jesus is there, the next question we have to ask is, is what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do once he finds himself on this foreign land facing these foreign evil, right? I mean, what does Jesus actually do once he's there? Well, let's look at what Jesus does. He encounters this man who's outside of his mind, right? I mean, he's so crazy that they're trying to shackle him up. The man that the scripture says is possessed by demons, so much so that he's unable to function in society, that they have him living among the dead. And, and what does Jesus do when he faces him? Well, he reaches out and he acts. Jesus doesn't just offer kind words. He actually does something about it, right? He rebukes the, the demon that this man is suffering from. He confronts the problem. He actually does something about the evil. He mends that source of suffering that the man is facing. He even asked the demon, right, who do you think you are? And the response that we get from those demons that are inside the man is actually a pretty creepy response. Because the answer that they give, if you remember, is, is legion. And you may be asking yourself, what does that mean? And I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a reference to the Roman legions, which were groups of soldiers that could number anywhere up to 4,000 to 6,000 soldiers per legion. So this answer is, is scary because what, what the demons are saying is that we are many. There are many of us here, Jesus. There are many of us and we are, are mighty, which I think, though that may be a little bit creepy, I think also that is pretty relatable for us because how often is it just one thing that we're struggling with in life? 
Usually, if, if you're honest with yourself and you begin to, to try to articulate what it is in your life that you're wrestling with, what it is in your life that you're seeking Jesus to mend, what it is you feel like in your life is causing you suffering or, or pain, usually it's not just, just one thing. Usually it's, it's many things that are contributing to, to where you are and, and what you need when you find yourself at the feet of Jesus. But what I love about this story is that it, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what the man is dealing with in the text. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how many of them there are. Because remember what happens at, at the beginning of the story when Jesus walks up to this man and these unclean spirits, these, this, this legion of evil, this is what they say to Jesus right out of the gate. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Right out of the gate, as soon as Jesus steps off the boat onto the shore and encounters this man, they knew. Right out of the gate. They knew who Jesus was, and they knew what Jesus was capable of. Immediately, they know that they don't stand a chance against this Son of God that is now on the scene. And immediately, they ask for mercy. I think so often we believe the narrative that Jesus isn't enough. I think we trick ourselves into believing that, that narrative. We trick ourselves into thinking that Jesus isn't enough, even though we can remember something miraculous that God has done in our life before. We trick ourselves into thinking that this is the time where God's going to fall short. This is the time where Jesus isn't going to show up. Or maybe this is the time where the pain wins, or it just, it's just too much. Or this is the time when the darkness is too much and the light isn't going to burst forth. Or maybe the situation just feels too overwhelming, that this is when our sin is too great. And even though we've seen God do things in the past, our fear is that maybe this is the time when Jesus isn't enough. And this story reminds us that that's never the case. It's never the case. Jesus is always enough. Jesus is, is always enough. I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the evil may look different. The hardship may look different. The, the brokenness may look different. But, but Jesus' ability to, to face and to heal and, and to cast out evil and brokenness in this world, that, that will never change, no matter what it is. Whether it's a season of anxiety or, or it's, maybe it's a bad day, at work, or thousands of demons like we find in the scripture. Jesus is always there in the brokenness, in the chaos, in, in the messiness, with those who are hurting, with those who need them, need him the most. Jesus is always there. And Jesus is always enough, no matter what it is. We can always know that Jesus will liberate us. Jesus will restore us. And Jesus will redeem us. I really, uh, I really wrestled this week with what our response this morning for worship should be in, uh, to the shooting that happened on Thursday. Of course, I had already 
picked out this scripture. I had written most of this sermon. I had my framework all laid out. And then that happened on Thursday, and I, and I really began to, to question, what, what should this morning look like for us as a people of faith? I mean, it, it feels different when it happens in your backyard, doesn't it? Especially in a place of, of worship. And, and Madison and I know folks personally who were affected by it, which again adds just another layer of, of heaviness and, and grief to the situation. And, and originally, before the shooting happened, my plan was, was to keep going and ask a third question of you to try and round out the sermon. And the question was going to be this, what does Jesus command? So the three questions were going to be, where is Jesus? What does Jesus do? And what does Jesus command? And I was going to land the sermon with suggesting to you that you should go out and tell your story. Because that's what Jesus commands the man in the story to do, right? Go home and tell others of the great things that Jesus has done in your life. And maybe that is what you need to hear this morning. Maybe you do need to hear because God has done something in your life that you need to tell others about. And maybe you need to hear this morning that you need to go from this place and be somebody who is willing to share the story of God's redemptive work in your life. But for me and for my own soul care this morning, after what we've experienced this past week, and considering that it was, it was just a few weeks ago that something much greater and much worse happened in, in Texas, what, what I realized that I, I really needed to hear was, was the hope and, and the assurance that we find in those first two questions. That, that's really what I, what I needed to hear this morning. Where is Jesus? Well, Jesus is in, he's in the brokenness. He's, he's in the pain. Jesus is facing the evil. Jesus is here with us. And, and what is it that Jesus is doing? Well, Jesus is, he's, he's healing us. He's redeeming us and, and restoring us. He's making the broken whole. Jesus is with those who need him the most. Because this story forces us to see that, that Jesus is enough. That no matter what it is that we are facing, Jesus is enough. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in The Gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.